Hello, and welcome to FTI Cybersecurity's podcast series, The Expert Briefing. My name is Jonathan Snyder, and I'm a senior director here at FTI Consulting based in New Jersey. Throughout this podcast series, FTI experts will discuss the latest issues and trends impacting the world of cybersecurity right now. Today, I'm here with my FTI colleague, Ron Yearwood, and we're excited to be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Erica Mitchell and Lieutenant Colonel Doug Fletcher from the United States Army Cyber Institute to discuss the changing world of operational technology and critical infrastructure. I let each of my guests provide a little introduction of themselves. Hello, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Erica Mitchell, the Critical Infrastructure Key Resources Research Group Chief for the Army Cyber Institute and an Assistant Professor in the Electrical Engineering and Computer Science Department at the United States Military Academy at West Point. Hi, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Doug Fletcher. I'm a Senior Research Scientist on the Critical Infrastructure Key Resource Team here at the Army Cyber Institute. I'm also an Assistant Professor in the Department of Mathematical Sciences at the United States Military Academy here at West Point. Hello, everyone. My name is Ron Yearwood. I'm a Senior Managing Director for FTI Consulting's Cybersecurity Practice and a retired Special Agent from the FBI Section Chief within the Cyber Division. Thanks to my guests for joining me today. So the first question I wanted to ask my guests is, what evolving threats have you seen recently impacting critical infrastructure, and how has the recent Jack Voltaic research exercise helped to prepare for the worst? Eric and Doug, did you want to give our listeners some background to Jack Voltaic before we get into that question? Uh, certainly, Jonathan. Um, so Jack Voltaic was begun out of a uh, attempt at doing cyber mutual assistance, much in the way that the uh, electrical industry has mutual assistance compacts that allow for them to support each other when there's a natural disaster. And so ACI wondered whether there was a way to do the same thing with cyber. And so the Cyber Mutual Assistance Workshop was conducted in New York. And from there, the idea for a Jack Voltaic exercise was born. And it also led to the entire Jack Voltaic research project. So the first iteration took place in New York City. It was an attack on the financial industry coupled with a physical terrorist attack. And then the second one took place in Houston where it was a, an impending hurricane combined with an opportunistic cyber attack on critical infrastructure. And then most recently, it was a two city uh, attack on uh, force projection where we're trying to get deploying forces out of the United States. Uh, Doug can tell you much more about that one. Yes, our most recent iteration, Jack will take three, was really focusing on how can attacks against civilian critical infrastructure impact the Army's force projection operations. Uh, the Army have had a big force projection exercise called Defender 2020, and they asked the ACI to look and see how we can tie in a Jack Voltaic to that. Um, and, and really, when, when they asked that, it's, it's really how can we get a different perspective on how cyber impacts our operations. So we, we did is we looked at the major ports that were cities that were supporting Defender 2020 and decided on Charleston and Savannah. Uh, and we moved forward with our Jack Voltaic scenario there with FTI and, and trying to determine, you know, how can cyber events disrupt force projection as well as commercial critical infrastructure. And Doug, with that, what uh, topics or subjects came out of that uh, that you think are significant that are worth talking about? 
Well, one of the big topics that we're looking at is, is kind of that optimism bias that we talk about, where, you know, a lot of people think it won't happen to me, or I don't need to talk to somebody because, you know, I'm already talking to, to somebody else. And, you know, what we've seen, even as recent over the past two or three years, that there's been an increase in attacks, not on big targets or, or states or federal entities, but local entities, whether it's schools, cities, small municipalities, medical facilities. It, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're connected to the internet, then you're a target. And so really, you know, what we got out of this too, and what we feel the participants got out of this, you know, you can't let your guard down. Uh, despite what you think uh, that there's a low probability that you're going to get hit, you know, you don't know. And there's plenty of avenues that are open to come at you. You just got to be ready for it. And I think from my vantage personally, as a participant in the event, uh, one of the other participants was actually dealing with an active cyber event that we about halfway through realized that they were dealing with. And the feedback from them was actually, wow, it actually really helps having all of this. And we're actually doing some immediate after actions and adjustments on for themselves, actually even asking for contact information for some of the other participants. And I think that's a, a big topic is that, that sharing of information as well. Yeah, Jonathan, you're right. And, you know, one of the things that we try to get after with Jack Voltaic is unlike traditional types of exercises that kind of start from the top down, they have a training audience and everybody else is training support. With Jack Voltaic, everybody that participates is part of that training audience. They all have their own goals and objectives that they want to get out of the event. And so, you know, those partnerships that get built through this event is kind of a, because, you know, as you go through that shared experience of, of first kind of meeting and planning the event and, you know, of course, with 2020, with the uncertainty we had with the, the shift to the events execution, all of that helped build that team and help build those relationships. So when we got to that event, you know, people realized the value of the partnerships, not just within their own sector, but outside that outside their sector as well. I agree. I think there were some uh, lessons that we learned in seeing that real world event start to play out as we were going through the exercise. And it really reinforced some of the critical points that we have uh, that we've raised uh, just at this first discussion topic. Uh, the primary one being that it doesn't matter who you are, uh, we're all connected. And so we're all targeted. We're all targets and, and subject to the same type of threats. And whereas recently, um, and ransomware is a good example of this, uh, you wouldn't see uh, smaller entities, uh, this, uh, whether it's a critical infrastructure element, uh, private sector business or government business, you wouldn't see some of those uh, individual smaller entities being targeted and hit and impacted by some of the types of uh, cybersecurity challenges that, that are out there, those cybersecurity attacks. But more and more, all of the, the vulnerabilities that we're exposed to um, are being implemented against targets across a broad, broad range of um, industry, whether it's critical infrastructure and private sector, um, the thing that I would highlight just to, to demonstrate this, hospitals haven't been uh, uh, a big target in the past, whereas in the last uh, year to two years, you've seen significant targeting of and significant negative impacts. Uh, some hospitals that have had uh, very, very serious consequences uh, from some ransomware events. 
and it did really highlight throughout the exercise um, this real world event happening all at the same time. It really highlighted the value of communication, the value of partnership, and talking through some of the different ways to handle different parts of potential problems and challenges because some people have been, been there more than others, and so they'll have good lessons learned that they can uh, provide to you or provide to a different uh, uh, potential victims for best practices and ways to implement those best practices during a real world event. Uh, given the current world situation with COVID-19 and lockdowns and telework, what we're seeing is it's easier to attack the low hanging fruit. A home network is much more vulnerable than a corporate network. And so by having distributed employees, you have a much bigger uh, attack footprint available. Therefore, we have to be much more cognizant of our vulnerabilities and actively work to, to solve them. Thank you all for your input. Uh, the second topic I wanted to cover on today was what advice would you give to leaders of organizations? What steps do you believe they should take right now to help build resilience in the face of operational technology and critical infrastructure vulnerabilities? So my, my first advice is for you to see yourself. Inside of an organization, you want to go through, perform your own internal assessments and determine what your crown jewels are, what's most important to protect and put uh, a lot of your effort into protecting that and making that the most resilient. From there, you'd like to start with the, the low cost, high reward fixes to uh, strengthen your network and then move on until you reach the medium cost, medium reward. Anything beyond that, getting into the high cost, low reward is, is fairly useless. And also to establish partnerships. You are not an island. There are other organizations that are similar to you. There are other organizations that rely on you and organizations you rely on. So make sure you're establishing those partnerships with people who can be influenced by what happens to you as you can be influenced by what happens to them. Thanks, Erica. And uh, just to build on to your point, you know, it's important for organizations to see others as well. You know, for, for us in the Army from Jackal Take 3, we were looking at that force projection in terms of the supply chain. You know, we move, we have equipment at the fort, we move via road or rail, and we move to the port. And it was important for us to look at the different touch points that uh, an adversary could have against us all throughout that supply chain. But most importantly, you know, who else is part of that? Who else is a player in that? We found with the, the different cities, with the, the port authority, uh, and, and in some cases, we even saw how the private industry touched those. So it's important to get that big perspective on, on who is involved in your in your supply chain so you can improve your overall resilience. Yeah, one of the things that we saw in the, um, the exercise, uh, and we see uh, on a regular basis throughout through these type of events, we see uh, comments about, I didn't know that you could assist with that. I didn't know that you had the ability to help with that. I also didn't know how to, and this is this speaks specifically to, uh, to communication, uh, a theme that I, I think we'll hear uh, consistently in, in different uh, conversations. Um, I, I didn't know how to get a hold of you. Um, collaboration is critical to success in cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is it, it, it's of critical uh, foundational importance to all of us, 
a, it's, it's no longer an individual sport. Cybersecurity is a team sport now across a variety of different areas and uh, connection points. And so no, having resources, having people uh, available for quick dial for, uh, as a resource to ask questions, to solicit input and information, uh, to be part of a solution is of critical importance. And I think the thing that I would highlight as far as uh, preparation, being ready, is having that plan, having that strategy, and having those points of contact ready and uh, effectively established well before an event happens. That way at the time of an event, you're not reaching out to establish a new contact. You're talking to somebody you have an existing relationship with that you've already built rapport, and you know you can count on to call uh, in a trusted environment, ask a question, um, ask for some assistance just to, to steer you in the right direction. So that's part, that's a really big part of having an established strategy Strategy that's part of the foundation of your, your uh, security, your security network, and have all of that woven together to create a plan. I think to summarize that then, you know, establishing the communication of he ahead of time. So we're the, as business leaders, you're looking to uh, understand what information needs to get to those outside contacts, but also knowing what you have within your environment and what's important and what actions you need to take to safeguard that is all critical ahead of any potential incident, right? We don't want to be doing that after the fact because then it, it just increases chaos to an already stressful environment. Most certainly. And to Erica's point, knowing what you have on your network and what's most important from a resilience perspective, what is the first thing that you're going to defend uh, is, is essential to having a successful strategy around your security process uh, and then have a plan to defend it. And, and I think it's really important to highlight that we practice that, that plan um, on a periodic basis to make sure that we're, we're ready to implement whatever those lessons are. There are foundational concepts that everybody needs to take into, uh, into account, uh, multi-factor authentication, uh, strong uh, firewalls and things like that but really knowing where your data is, what the most important data is that you have, what's most critical on your network uh, and where that data is to protect it and uh, ensure resilience is a critical first step. And I would just add, don't forget your business continuity. Um, even if your crown jewels are somehow damaged, what is your plan for continuing without those? Do you have a backup copy somewhere? Or do you have an alternate system that you can switch to? Because resilience is more than just defense, but also how do you continue to operate after you've been hit? So to echo um, Erica's point, and, and she stole my thunder, I had this uh, as one of the things I was going to highlight as far as a disaster recovery plan and the criticality of a disaster recovery plan. Uh, great point, Erica. Um, you have to be able to keep going. Uh, think about and plan for what, whatever the worst possible outcome of a cyber event for you you have to plan for that and plan to keep going. Um, it, it, it's interesting in, in the United States, we have a, a particular concept and we see these challenges uh, with different facets of incident response, uh, resilience. Um, and we've talked about collaboration and communication and, and we see these challenges evolving and we're working very, very diligently to increase and to get better at our communication and working together in this uh, non-adversarial way, this very collaborative way. Now, when you add it, the enhancement of our being part of this globally connected family, this globally connected community, it just adds additional layers on top of 
those collaboration and communications channels, whether it's from a regulatory perspective, um, a compliance perspective, a legal perspective, or just a, uh, a different way of doing business uh, in one, from one region to another, we see a continued complexity of environment challenging us to be more and more communicative and more and more collaborative. But it is definitely something that we need to continue to ex exercise and to exert energy behind because the better prepared that we are and the more that we communicate across all of these different boundaries, the better we will be able to respond and ensure uh, continuity of business. Fantastic points from each of you. Thank you. In looking towards the future, what challenges and opportunities will organizations face? And where should business leaders be focusing their efforts in order to secure critical infrastructure? Uh, Ron, why don't we go to you uh, to start this topic off? Thank you, Jonathan. J just from a starting perspective, uh, one of the challenges that I would one of the challenges that I would see in the future is that it won't happen to me. Perspective. Um, we still see in in all environments. This is a, a universal statement. Um, I don't want to call it necessarily overconfidence, but we definitely see a confidence in, in capabilities uh, that that could be per perhaps misplaced. Um, that that context that you know I'm not a big enough target. Nobody's coming after me. Uh, we've already talked about this earlier in our discussion about if you're on the internet and you're connected, then you're a target. Um, we still see some of that. So uh, a challenge that I see in the future that I think will will cross multiple different elements, including critical infrastructure, is that it won't happen to me. Um, it could even be from the perspective of, um, I don't have, uh, my, my operational technology is not fully connected to my information technology technology into the internet. Um, that miss, that, that little bit of misplaced confidence in what's currently ongoing and whether or not I'm an actual target, I see as a big challenge for us in the future that we continue to overcome. Thanks, Ron. And what I'd like to highlight on this is, you know, we want our responders and our responses, we want our responders to be prepared. Um, and as these, as we see these continued threats evolve, whether it's in the cyber world or as we see now in the real world with COVID-19, how do we keep people prepared to respond to a cyber incident when we're all working from home or, you know, we're all distributed across? And, you know, one of the things that we've found with Jack Voltaic and, and our uh, mini exercise, Jack Pandamus, is we're able to do these incident response exercises virtually. And in fact, it kind of replicates what would happen with a real world incident where people are starting off distributed and trying to get the best information so they can have a response. And so, you know, as we, we think about the, the threat, you know, we know that in order to identify kind of our best practices, we've got to exercise. And so we shouldn't limit ourselves to the traditional exercise where everybody gets in a room and, and, and meets for three days and leaves. We got to start thinking about how we would do the distributed events. That's right, Doug. Uh, we definitely need to be able to do that. Um, so attacks are increasing. We, we have seen that attacks continue to grow because as long as they're able to get money through the use of malware, why stop? You know, it's, it's a very low impact level of effort to achieve ransom and, and get money. And as technology permeates society, especially in the wake of COVID-19 and having all of these people working from home, the multi-billion dollar malware industry is going to keep growing. Um, as we saw with the Mirai botnet, uh, 
infiltrating IoT systems and using those to perform distributed denial of service attacks on much larger, better protected corporate networks is, you know, a very, again, low impact way to achieve large effects. And so what I would caution people to do in the future is to treat cybersecurity as an operational priority with the appropriate budget that goes with that. You cannot solve your cybersecurity problems on a shoestring budget, and it is very much important to a business case to have secure networks, especially in locations where it's punitive not to. Um, the financial industry spends a ton of money securing their systems because in you know, most global locations, there are punitive measures to not protecting your financial systems. Um, and then as far as Jack Voltaic goes, as Doug was talking about, we are looking to how can we best do these distributed exercises in order to, to scale up the Jack Voltaic project. Right now, uh, it has been individual Jack Voltaic exercises and during JV 3.0, Doug was able to do a fully distributed version. And so in the future, we're moving towards a fully distributed version while also attempting to automate some of that planning process so municipalities can go out and perform their own planning as opposed to waiting on the Army Cyber Institute and, and partners like FTI to be available to do that planning for them. These are all really super good points. I just want to echo a, a couple of them. Um, I mean, just tremendous points that have been made. Uh, the first one, and I know we, we only touched on it briefly, and I, I won't elaborate too deeply, but the Internet of Things, uh, it was, uh, it's been overshadowed in the, in the recent times just by ransomware because of the prolific growth of an impact of ransomware, but it's still a big threat out there. Um, and I say that, I mentioned that only from the foundational perspective of going back to another point that was made, um, having, having the security, cybersecurity particularly, be part of your foundational security within every enterprise and every organization. It's more than just an add-on and it needs to be treated in that context. It's part of everything that we do um, from uh, soup to nuts, uh, top to bottom. It needs to be built as part of the foundational underpinnings of success and survival for each of our, our organizations. In this context of operating in a virtual environment, it couldn't be more true that at time of an event, the likelihood of everyone getting together and going into a command post to actually respond and coordinate is less and less of a reality every year and every decade that goes by. We do things more and more remotely um, with effective capabilities because we're getting better and better at it. And the more practice that we have working in this virtual environment at all levels from municipalities, county, state level, federal level, across all of the different private sector critical infrastructure, um, all things considered, the more we practice working in this virtual environment, the better we will get at it and the less of a challenge it will be at time of any type of an incident in responding and coordinating across all of the, the various challenges that we've highlighted uh, during our discussion. And one final point is that we often see that both information technology or IT and cybersecurity are often commingled uh, when the reality is they're so, that cybersecurity is so very interdisciplinary in nature that it encompasses much more than just technology specifically. 
Uh, Doug, Erica, Ron, any points you'd like to add in here as to uh, how we can look at that into the future? Yeah, Jonathan, I think you make a great point there about kind of how there's many different flavors of IT and there's, you know, with cybersecurity, there, there's really a difference there. And I think it's important that we, everyone, especially leadership, understands that there is a difference. So because you have an IT person there doesn't necessarily mean you've got great cybersecurity. And then just because you've got great cybersecurity doesn't mean you've got a great IT. You've got to blend those together. You've got to get the right tools at the right time uh, for the right task. And, uh, and understanding how these different things, how these different jobs relate is one of the first steps to improving that resiliency. And Erica, you got any other thoughts on that? Well, one thing I would say is don't lose sight of the human element. You know, when you have employees, you have, you know, each individual employee can be a sensor for something being wrong in the system. So if you have employees trained on what to look for when things go wrong and also have a reporting structure built in, then they're able to raise a red flag a lot sooner than if you're only relying on technological measures. And that goes back to that interdisciplinary nature that cyber is more than just IT and you have to consider the human element and, and account for that in your planning. To overlay a quick uh, real world uh, as uh, we continue to grow and advance some, some things we see on a daily basis. So uh, cloud computing, the move to the cloud, it's not secure individual of human element. And you need to know what it is that you're procuring and secure that because security is, is not a uh, independent function of uh, implementing your business in a cloud. And then same would go for a managed service provider versus in opposition to a managed security service provider. One is providing you with your technology, um, but unless you're asking them to, they're not providing security. And the other one is providing security and not necessarily the technology. But all of these components work together to provide a solid, uh, robust program for all of the different requirements that you have. And it's all connected, as Erica highlighted, via that human element. We have to, we have to keep uh, very well rooted in ensuring that we educate, we maintain a good understanding of all the different resources that we have at our disposal, and we utilize them and train them. Thank you to my FTI colleague, Ron Yearwood, and both Erica Mitchell and Doug Fletcher from the United States Army Cyber Institute for joining me today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you'd like to find out more about what we do here at FTI Cybersecurity and how we help build a resilient future for clients, please reach out to myself or any of today's guests via the FTI website. Mm -hmm.